It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Welcome to the Odds and Audibles post-game edition. Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Uh, recording at 11.29 p.m. Pacific time Saturday after Oregon wins 55-10 to 10 over Hawaii, uh, a game in which Hawaii finishes with 201 total yards. Uh, they have 15 first downs, but a lot of those feel like they came from penalties by Oregon. Um some points that Hawaii scored came via penalty by Oregon, uh, a game in which three Oregon quarterbacks once again get on the football field. Um, Oregon was leading 24 to nothing after the first quarter, 34 to three at halftime. Um, this game was never close. Nope. It, it was not really competitive at all. Um, I was looking at – some stats here, you know, Hawaii 201 total yards of offense. And you look at their drives, the last two drives of the, of the game that they had 62 and 75 yards. Yeah. You know, like this, this game was just absolutely one-sided and that's what it should be and what we would hope to see. Um, and really there's only one issue that came out of this and Dan Landing was very adamant. And that was, Penalties yet again uh, ruled its ugly head for the Ducks. Can we talk positive maybe for a second first and then go into the penalties? Yes. Do you, do you want to Absolutely. just – Sure. Dan certainly didn't, by the way. I think I looked at the recorder. It was 17 Very seconds. Clear. 17 seconds from when he sat down at the podium to when he first brought up penalties. But, like, this was – I think this um, surpassed my expectations for what I thought. I mean, the score is kind of close. I had, what, 59 – 17 i think and it was 55 10 mm-hmm. but it wasn't even that close uh they scored at the very very end of the game their final touch or their final drive was their only touchdown drive as matt just said 137 of their 201 yards happened on their last two drives when when frankly it was like true freshmen and walk-ons and third string players who aren't gonna play very much in meaningful snaps otherwise like this was a really impressive start to finish win um, thought the offense looked really good. Thought the defense looked really good. Hawaii, we talked a week about like the explosive pass attack. Well, Braden Shager, that strong arm we all talked about, didn't really materialize. He averaged three yards per pass attempt, 100, 131 <laughs> yards good. passing. You know, I mean, he threw it 43 times and only for 131 yards. Um, like that just like Oregon's defense and their secondary, there was a lot of credit. That was the question coming in. I think both Jared and I were like, don't be surprised if Hawaii beats them for like a 50-yard touchdown or gets over the top. Longest completion of the day was 15 yards. Um, all of that mm-hmm. is awesome. Offensively, I mean, Nix was pretty darn good. Ty looked good when he came in. Just about any player who touched the football for Oregon seemed to to make something happen. So, like, I, I come away, aside from, as Matt said, the very clear thing that Dan wanted to talk about, like really encouraged basically in every facet of the game. I thought they ran it well. They passed it well defensively. They stopped the run. They stopped the pass. They got off the field, I think, on third downs. I, I don't actually have to pull that up. Uh, yeah, two for 14 for Hawaii. Yes. Yeah. That'll mm-hmm. work. Um, 
special teams. Maybe there were a couple of iffy sequences on punt returns, but Tez was able to corral them. Um, I mean, Ross James is averaging 51 yards on two punts. Like, not a lot of things to really gripe about besides the big thing um, that we'll get to in a moment here. Yeah, no, not a lot of things to gripe about at all. Um, yeah, I was really impressed with the defense overall. Uh, I think my original score prediction was 56 to 24. Um, I saw some people, maybe on social media and maybe on our message board, like comparing this to Portland State and like, oh, like Hawaii is no better than Portland State. Like, no, Hawaii is a lot better than Portland State. That's like, ridiculous. A lot better than Portland State. That was just honestly how good Oregon was defensively. Yep. And then on offense, they just had no problems. Like the 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 difference between the two, like like Oregon settled for two field goals. Like Portland State was never going to have Oregon settle for two field goals unless Dan decided to kick it on like second down or whatever. <laughs> um, I, I just want to talk about the defense because I was very – um, I was cautiously, I'm probably a little pessimistic towards the defense and the, the 24 points. I figured I won't, like, I figured there'd be backups in and Hawaii would get an, uh, a touchdown by the end of the game, but which is what happened, but yeah. not not to my score. Um, look, I like they were really good. Um, I was really worried about Hawaii's ability to go over the top. Um, they're, you know, they 18.8% of all of, of Hawaii's passes this year have been down the field. Their average depth of target on those throws is 30 yards. So they're taking deep shots. And Shager proved he had a, he had a big arm. Like he overthrew a couple guys. But regardless, uh, Kyrie Jackson, Jaleel Florence, I thought the communications in the secondary was really good. Tysheem Johnson was, was more towards the line of scrimmage in most of his plays, but there wasn't a lot of opportunities for a Hawaii player to a catch the ball and then b break away. There were multiple hats to the ball, and that was something that I'm looking forward, or I was looking forward in this season to see if that would happen. If there's the speed of Oregon's defense and the incoming guys that they brought, and the development under this coaching staff to see if they're fast enough to get multiple hats to the ball in an offense like this. It happened some at Tech specifically during the second half, but today was the culmination of all of those things. And I, I was really impressed with, with Julio Florence and his like, – I don't really know if he had any stats today. It doesn't look like it off the top of my head or looking at the score sheet again. He had um, one tackle. But he had a tackle. But that does not do justice of what he did out there on the field today. I thought he played great. Kyrie Jackson obviously gets the interception on a tip ball. Um, and most importantly, like the, the pass rush got home. I know there's only two sacks, and that may be kind of disappointing considering they got a couple more sacks against Texas Tech. But – Hawaii was was very quick to throw it, and they were quick to throw it because somebody was breaking free on the interior the, on the offensive line basically every single play, whether it's Casey Rogers or Popo who did get a sack or uh, Keon Ware Hudson, Taki Taimani, or Brandon Dorless when he was lined up inside. Like There were a lot of quarterback pressures, and I, I was really pleased with how the defensive line played. They finished with seven tackles for loss. Some of that was from the linebackers, but overall the pass rush was great. I thought that Oregon's defense was very impressive today. I was not expecting a performance like this. I already wrote about it on DuckTerritory.com. I just think it was it was a great performance overall. And there's going to be people who said, oh, the quarterback wasn't that good. Like I, I get that, but he was under duress all game long. Like He may have looked bad because Oregon's defense made him look bad. Good. And yeah. Right, and 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 other and other performances like he had a, he had a good day against Stanford. He had a good day yeah. against Vanderbilt. Very like good. Other other Power Five opponents like I'm not saying Oregon is 
anywhere close to the level of Stanford and Vanderbilt. Like they're clearly more, they're clearly significantly better, but he's performed at those levels. So I was just very impressed overall. I mean, just to, sorry, Matt, I just had one thought. It was just that, I mean, Hawaii lost to Vanderbilt and Stanford by a combined 20 points. Like those were competitive games they played with those teams. Like this game was mm-hmm. not competitive. Uh, Hawaii had two drives to Jared's point about how well the defense played. Hawaii had two, their first two drives of the game. Neither drive took more than 47 seconds off the clock. Um, yeah. The, the first drive 25. I, I yeah. The, the first drive, I didn't even get to watch any of the plays because I was typing the, the defensive starters. I looked up at the end of my tweet. And I was like, Oh, cool. They're, they're running off the field. I think the defense did well. Uh, they had four, three and outs. And they had one drive that had three plays, but it ended at three because they threw a pick. Um, Their average distance on third down was 5.7 yards per third down that they had to get. I mean, that's hard to convert. That's really good defense uh, for Oregon. Um, They only, you know, they just couldn't do anything. And I think this was a game in which, like Jared just said, this was this was more about how good Oregon's defense is than how bad Hawaii's offense was. Um, to, to hold Ashlock and McBride, I think they combined for less than 60 yards or less than 80 yards receiving – when coming in, they were two of the most productive receivers in the country. And you could argue that, that they played an extra game and that matters. Like, But McBride had five touchdowns. And Ashlock had, I think, two catches already this season for over 50 yards. Like These were, these were guys that have broken off big plays this season. And they couldn't do anything. I mean, Ashlock caught all eight targets that was thrown his way and yet had 47 yards. And McBride, I think, averages like 22 yards of reception, something like that, coming into the season or into this game. And he averaged 10 yards a catch. Nothing worked for Hawaii. And it gets to a point where it's, yes, the opponent is inferior. Yes, Oregon has better depth and all of that. But you still have to play and you still have to execute. And that's what happened. And, I mean, I was really surprised that Dan Lanning came out today or tonight after the game was over and we'll get to the penalties later, but he said, aside from the penalties, I thought we were really close from playing a complete perfect game. Like you don't ever hear coaches talk like that. And they were really close. Now, granted they didn't do it, you know, obviously, but, and there were, there were things offensively that like, you know, they could have cleaned up. Um, Dan Lanning, after the game was over, it was like, I'll find things to look at and, you know, penalties will be something and, you know, how they finished the the first half will be something I'm sure he'll, he'll talk about. The offense got, I think inside the, the 10 for Hawaii and didn't score a touchdown. They had to take a field goal and then they gave a field goal um, to Hawaii defensively. But off, you know, we've talked a lot about the, the defense here offensively, you know, Bonix yet again, looked really good. Um, good decision-making. Uh, 247 yards passing, three touchdowns. Uh, four different receivers for Oregon had over 60 yards receiving. Um, Troy Franklin's streak of 100 yards got snapped at four catches and 83 yards. But Tez Johnson, two touchdowns, four catches, 77 yards. Treshawn Holden, 
he had a 60-yard touchdown catch in the fourth quarter. Before that, he had three catches for three yards and one touchdown. With one of the like, craziest stats you could see for a receiver. I love um, that. And then at, at, at running back, like it, it truly doesn't matter who gets the carries. I mean, Bucky only had 12 carries for 59 yards, but then you look at Whittington went for five for 80 and a touch, and Jordan James, seven carries, 61 yards, and two tutties. Um, this is this offense is humming right now. And I I think there were some people that were disappointed in Will Stein, I think at Texas Tech and the play calling and what have you. Like, I think that was clearly, hey, like we're gonna have some some off plays. Uh some guys didn't maybe execute well. Um, but it was also Texas Tech just playing good because this offense, I like the play designs, I like the formations. We saw some new stuff that showed up on the offense with an end around to Kenyon Sadiq. We saw a flea flicker to Troy Franklin. Um, we, I think we saw some new formations. We saw, I think, Ted's Johnson play like H-back. Yeah. Um, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that we're starting to see with this offense that it's pretty darn prolific. And Bo Nix is still elite like he was last season. Troy Franklin is is even better. And now it feels like, based off what Tez and Treshawn said post game, like this receiver room has an explosiveness that just hasn't been around these parts for the last couple of seasons, whether it's Dan landing season last year or the Mario years, it's not just one guy. And that's what they were talking about. It's it. They, they said that, you know, it, it, this offense isn't just focused on one or two receivers. They've got four or five guys that can do this. And we're starting to see it. The depth of skill position talent was really on display. Like, yeah. and as I kind of, I brought up slightly earlier, but Matt did a really good job of illustrating with all the names of like, almost didn't matter who touched the ball for Oregon, something good was going to happen. Like, it's a crazy game where Bucky Irving was your least productive running back, and yet you still ran for over 200 yards, you know? Mm -hmm. I I mean, there were people on the message board early on in the game, and I know none of us agree with this, suggesting Jordan James is the best running back on the team. And this is a team that also includes Noah Whittington and Bucky Irving. And while I don't lend too much credence to that because I still think the older players are better – like you can have like at least bring up that comment. It doesn't sound completely nonsense. I mean, I don't again. I don't agree, but like he had a really good game and he had some open field plays. And like we've started to ex- see it expand. And I will be curious to see against Colorado next weekend as they get in the conference play. Like, is this going to be a, a three headed monster? Because coming into the season, I think we were all like, well, maybe he'll be the short yardage guy again, and maybe he'll see a slight uptick. But through three weeks, like he's. You know, he's really involved in the offense. And again, this is a blowout. You're going to play a lot of guys. And he only had seven carries. But mm-hmm. um, I'll be curious on snap counts, too, from PFF when we get those tomorrow. But my kind of inclination is that he probably wasn't that far behind the other two in snap counts. They played him quite a bit. And when he was out there, he averaged uh, nine yards per carry on the ground. And um, I don't think he had a reception, doesn't look like, but like he was very productive and, and, and again, clearly has a nose for the end zone. So, and that's just the running backs. You know, we ran, Matt ran through the receivers. The tight ends weren't really utilized like maybe some had expected. I know Jared was thinking it would be a big Ferguson mm-hmm. day that didn't materialize, but like I thought there was some fun creativity back to Will Stein with how they used them in terms of. Uh, different formations in terms of how they use them as lead blockers on certain screen passes that worked a couple times. Like there's just a lot, like there's a lot of different nuances offensively that to me came together that I really liked. And 
and it, this is the type of game where you hope to see that, you know, frankly, because Hawaii is just an overmatched opponent. I don't think Oregon threw the whole kitchen sink at them. They better not have. But what we did see was like basically everything worked. And if you again, if you pull up the drive chart, um, you know, not, not to be totally unfair to Ty Thompson, but every single drive that Bo Nix led resulted in, in points. A um, couple field goals there, field goals there that I'm sure um, they'd like to correct. But uh, Bo Nix at home so far this season has yet to have a drive end in a punt. I'm pretty sure. Uh, first game, I think it was nine straight touchdowns. This game, uh, what is that? Texas Tech. Tech. I said at home. At home. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I mean, I just think the offense looked great, and and there wasn't a part of it that really was frustrating besides the penalty part, which I don't know. Have we have we said enough positive? I just want to make sure we covered the positive had, before we. Get I had one. Negative. I had one more th- the to go on the wide receivers. Like this is that that all of this includes two overthrows by Knicks, where yeah. those were clear touchdowns. One was to Troy Franklin down the right sideline. And one was to Tez Johnson in the right, like the middle right corner of the end zone. Like yeah. if those are those are good balls, those are touchdowns. I think they both like regardless. I think Oregon went down and scored at least a touchdown on on both of those drives, but that would have looked even better because those would have been you know another 40, 50 yard throw, another 40, 50 yard throw to both Tez and Detroit Franklin. It's Nix has missed a couple of those this year, just like something that's been kind of obvious is his, his deep ball has been there in terms of arm strength and yardage but just a little too little too much to both of those throws just a bit of an overthrow from from Knicks which it's kind of been surprising but he's still connected to to Franklin uh he's still connected to Tez Johnson like there, there's not it's not like it's a cause for concern I mean the guy completed 70 percent of his passes like he's fine but the people who care about uh, Nix's like average depth of depth of target are going to be, you know, those, those passes would have increased it. It would have helped him look better and maybe ri- ri- uh, like raised his draft stock, but still um, the offense was, was great. I was pleasantly surprised by all the new little things, um, which Terrence Ferguson had a better day at the office, but he, he still performed well. It's not like he was bad or anything like that, but it was, it was just nice to see like Treshawn Holden with his touchdown pass from Ty Thompson. Like that was great to see, I think. Cause frankly, I didn't know he had that type of speed. Like, yeah. he, he took that slant or whatever that was, maybe just like a crossing. It was a, slant. Just, it was a slant. He just took off. I didn't really know he had that kind of speed. And that goes to what Matt was saying earlier. Like this receiving room, you know, has the ability to go blow the top off any defense from three different guys. And that's, not even including Gary Bryant, who I also think has the ability to do yes. that. He hasn't really he hasn't really shown that this year in terms of like going deep and catching it. But you know, he he did that at USC when he played. Like there's there's gonna be an opportunity for him to do the same exact thing. So that's four guys that any defense has to worry about someone going deep on. I mean Chris, Gary Bryant had Gary Bryant had four catches for sixty seven yards and it's like a it's like a nothing burger app cheat. Like didn't he? Yeah. It's like he did because he didn't score a he touchdown. Just, he didn't score and, a touchdown. Yeah, like, and we're not even going to talk about it, really. And the last five, ten years, that's like a really good number two production stat line for a receiver at Oregon. Mm-hmm. And I, I can I interject and say, yeah, Chris Hudson did play. Yeah, he's alive. he did. He's alive. He's, alive. he's on the team. He was there. Uh, ten, ten different players caught a pass, but he did not catch one. He was not one of them. Nah. Was, I don't think he was even targeted. 
I don't uh, think he was either. He played a not decent amount. He played a decent amount in the second half, but yeah, not mm-hmm. not targeted. I don't think. Uh, penalties, and this is really the only thing that popped up. And to your point, Eric, Dan brought this up immediately in the press conference. Uh, cut off a question by Zach Neal of Ducks Wire from USA Today about penalties and like how he was going to handle it and like they better not happen again we're done we're, we're done addressing penalties they better not happen basically is what he said and then um he gave the line of paraphrasing like if you're going to commit penalties you can't play because you're hurting the team and nine penalties 76 yards uh, we know one penalty took a missed field goal in the first half off the board which then allowed hawaii to get their field goal at intermission and then we know that there was uh, a personal foul penalty during that drive that led you know it pushed extended the drive on a third down that Oregon got a stop uh Oregon also allowed a penalty in the fourth quarter uh, on the drive that they scored their touchdown um you could point a lot of these things to hey like you don't make these mistakes that are self-inflicted wounds and Hawaii maybe doesn't even score Hawaii maybe doesn't even have 150 yards of total offense. Yeah. And the exact quote from Dan and Matt was pretty close on his paraphrasing, but if you're going to commit penalties, you can't be on the field. It's going to be that simple. If you get a penalty, you can't play for us. You're hurting the team. There are probably some players that that doesn't apply to. I, I don't know if, if Bo Nix gets yeah, a, I would imagine. a or yeah. an intentional grounding. They're going to pull him. But I think, and I think this was more. I mean, because you look at the penalties that were committed here um, three on offense for a combined 10 yards, two of which were, and the only two that actually were, I think, accepted or, or went for any negative yardage were uh, on Jackson Powers Johnson, illegal man downfield. And these are not to be too apologetic for Jackson because you want to clean this up, but these are tough on RPOs. They're right? tough, yeah. Because it's, it's a run pass option, which means the defense doesn't know exactly what's happening, but. Sometimes the offensive line doesn't know exactly what's happening behind them. They figure, right. hey, if, if the ball is in the running back's chest, they're getting upfield. I need to get upfield to try to pave the way. So mm-hmm. I'm a little more understanding of those. He, Jackson took accountability, as you'd expect, said he, that he needs to you know, improve upon that, said it's, you know, there's 10,000 there's 10, things going on in your head at once, but you've got to lock in on those things. The egregious stuff was on defense. And I think what Dan is getting at here is not as much at like, I don't think they're going to bench Jackson next week if he goes downfield illegally a time or two. He's getting at the fact that the defense committed six penalties and four of them were 15 yard variety penalties uh, a right. personal foul, a roughing the passer, and two pass interferences. They had a couple offsides penalties, one of which was pretty costly, as Matt said earlier. That was remanding lined up in the neutral zone on the kick that was missed, and then he got a mulligan. Yeah, don't do that again. Um, but you, I mean, I I don't think you like seeing these penalties. No, Dan does clearly not like yeah. seeing these penalties. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know. I, I get why Dan is disappointed because the was it like fourteen penalties against Texas Tech. Was that yeah, the was, number? I think it was fourteen. Those were egregious. I, part of me just doesn't care because the last three of them were from either true freshmen or guys who were like never going to really see the field this year. Like that's what's going to happen when the ones are going against your threes or like your maybe your fours. Like one of them was on 
uh, Solomon Davis. Actually, two, two of them actually were them. on Solomon Davis. It's like, all right, like I get it. It's at the end of the game. You're up by 50 points. Like, I, I understand that Dan doesn't want to see this, and that's not what he wants. And I'm sure he's more referring to like the ineligible receiver downfield for Jackson Powers Johnson or. Um, who was it that got the the, the rough in the pass? Uh, Brandon Doyle's got a Doris. rough in the passer on a third and fifteen. Like those are penalties that are just boneheaded and dumb. Maybe not the rough, or maybe not the ineligible receiver downfield because like Eric went through. Like those are hard. But the rough in the passer, the offsides for Dante Manning, um, Kamar Terrell got a personal foul on like the one of the for or one of the few kickoffs in the beginning of the game or like the second quarter or something like that. Like. It- it was are, uh, it was right before the last drive, which is I think why Dan was so. Yeah, like those are those are dumb penalties, which were a lot of the penalties against Texas Tech. Like Brandon Dorless did the same thing; he had a late hit out of bounds, and Kyrie Jackson had those um, at least one really boneheaded uh, pass interference call. Like I get that, and and Dan was I was actually kind of surprised about it. Um, I didn't figure Dan to be happy after a win like this, just because he's, I don't know when he really ever is happy talking to us, but um, I expected him to be at least in like good spirits, but he, he came out like both Matt and Eric said, like he came out just immediately guns blazing. Like can't, can't do this penalty stuff anymore. Like it was, it almost felt like a basketball coach talking about it. Like fouls is like just so egregiously upset about the penalties, but I get some of them. The, the ones at the end of the game, at least for me, I'm like, uh, you know, Solomon Davis, he's he's out there against the number ones yeah. in Hawaii. Like, he's not going to be playing for you. If these were penalties from Julio Florence or Kyrie Jackson or uh, Dante Manning, like, all the time, like, similar to what it was against Texas, Texas Tech, I get that. Don't get me wrong. But it's Solomon Davis, you know, pass interference, uh, it, it, it kind of is what it is at that point of the game. Like, you're by 40. Like, it's okay. My, my my read would be that, as Dan said, I'm going to find something to be disappointed in. I think yes. he need, this was the really obvious clearing thing, which is why he probably made such a big deal, to your point, Jared, as well. Um, there was so much to love from this game, and I'm sure Dan loved a lot of it. He said as much. He wanted to make sure he yeah. was careful not to, yeah. to just co- completely harp on this. But he did come out, I think, and it surprised me too, just how much he focused guns on guns blazing. And then... As Matt said, Jared, uh, Zach asked a question about what's he going to do to correct it, and he cut him off because he wanted to get in. Well, we better not be talking about this next week again. So, yeah. you know, and I get it because this whole week, was that was one of the big talking points was correcting penalties, and, and they were, there was a problem again. But uh, to your I point, felt like they, I mean, not, not I, is, it could have been worse. Squid. Yeah, no, I felt like they corrected the penalties. Like, none of these were – egregious that was the problem against texas tech it's like these were the the josh connerly false starts which may have happened because of like the stints by texas tech whatever those are still bad penalties those take you from first and goal at the six to first and goal at the 16 or uh, you know however however big the penalty is like to me i just felt like the the egregious penalties were by the wayside except for the dante manning offsides and the brandon doorless rough of the passer but Still, Dan's right. Like you can get rid of those. Those are twenty yards of penalties that you can get rid of. And I'm okay with Brandon Doris hitting somebody. Like he he doesn't get enough like sacks or tackles for loss in his st- statistics. So I feel like he's at points he can probably get a little annoyed and just want to hit something. So 
I get it. Yeah, another game where Dorless has just one total tackle, and it does absolutely nothing to explain how impactful he was. Right. Um, yeah. Another guy that was equally as impactful who did get one of the two sacks, Popo Omave. I mean, this was yeah. like he's mm-hmm. played the last two weeks, but he looked really, really good today. Um and we saw again some interesting defensive lines early in early in this game. Popo, Taki, Dorless, and Birch to start. Mm-hmm. Um, really unique defensive line front right there. Um, the freshman played quite a bit again. Um, Price Betcher continues to be a story for this defense. The the mm-hmm. hit on special teams was Oof. absolutely fabulous. And I I'm terrible with remembering big hits. Like I remember big touchdowns or big three pointers and whatnot, but like hits, I can't really remember those, but it's gotta be up there from one of the more physical hits we've seen from an Oregon player um, on special teams or just regular defense in the last couple of years, just completely depleted the guy. Uh, And I knew exactly what he was going to say when you asked him, like, what's that feel like? Like those type of hits, you don't feel anything. And that's exactly what he said. He, he's like, all my energy went into that guy, and I'm sure it hurt. <laughs> well, and he used the baseball analogy, as you'd expect. He said it felt yes. like hitting a, hitting the ball clean for a home run. And, uh, yeah, I was trying to think of some of the biggest hits. Like, there's the T.J. Ward hit on yeah. okay, Zach, Zach Oklahoma Robinson. State. Yeah, Zach yeah. Robinson, I think, was their quarterback. You actually asked Betcher if you remembered the, the Wesley Mallard hit. I don't think he did. Um, no, was, I, I think that might have been before he was born. So um, yes, yeah. I, I preface yeah. it. I'm probably aging myself, is what I said to him. Like, have you seen this hit though? Because they used to show all the big hits on the highlights. And I was yeah, yeah. Maybe as a mm-hmm. kid, he maybe remembers seeing those. And, and I think the hard part is, is the biggest hits you have now mostly are targeting calls. Yeah. So they get wiped mm-hmm. out, and you don't yeah. kind of really enjoy them as much. You don't. You don't put a targeting call on a highlight package. Well, you might, but you. You could. Yeah, it would just be kind of counterproductive. Maybe um, you shouldn't be celebrating. You know who had good. You know who had big hits on spot hockey woods. I know. I knew you were going to say hockey woods. That was your yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's that's he was so good on special teams. Like, and that's kind of what Betcher can do as long as somebody returns a ball, like uh, returns a kickoff or a punt. Like he has, especially now that he's two hundred twenty-five pounds. Like he was already one of the best athletes on baseball. Um, you know he played center field. You have to be a great athlete to do that. And now that he has 20 extra pounds, that's somebody absolutely I do not want to step in front of because he's a guy who lives, eats, breathes, sleeps. Like he wants contact. That's the thing that makes him a great football player is he just goes out there and tries to hit somebody as hard as he can every single time. So um, that's, I mean, hockey, hockey is the one guy that I like that stood out. It's like, oh yeah, he's made that play a couple of times. Like even in the Rose Bowl when Brady Breeze picked up the fumble, like, Hockey laid the woods, laid the wood there. So he's the guy. Betcher, by the way, continued to make just big contributions. We're not just talking about that. He had six tackles, second on the team, and he had a, a pretty big tackle for loss on a run play. I think it was like a third or second and short, and he he tackled them well behind the line. Mm-hmm. So kid's a good player. Uh, do we want to turn our attention to now the biggest hyped football game in history of Oregon football? That's a little bit over. That's hyperbole. <laughs> is it? Little, is it really? Yeah. Yes. A, a little bit, but <laughs> you know it is. D, I mean, Coach, I, Pri- Coach Prime might come out and say it is. I don't know. Yes. Like, who knows what he'll say? 
Uh, they, they, while we were recording this podcast, Colorado did fend off uh, the upset bid by Colorado State. They won in double overtime. They stormed the field against an opponent that they were, what, Jared, 23, 28 points? What was the line? I think it was 22 and a half. That was the final line. And uh, I did hear the call. Do you believe now after, from Mark Jones yeah, Mark, after they – Mark Jones was tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, players were, talk, were asked about Colorado. Um, there's certain – you know, Dan's comments, he was asked about it kind of at the beginning of the press conference or towards the end, excuse me, about what he said at media day about how, you know, at – at media day, he, he was asked about Colorado's departure, and his response was, what have they won previously in the Pac-12? He doesn't remember them winning anything. Um, Dan kind of brought that up again, but at the same time said, you know, they've great they've they've improved significantly this season under Dion. He said he has got a lot of respect for what Dion has done. It's pretty impressive. Uh, his players all echoed the same comments. Bo Nix said you know, the turnaround that they've had is really hard to do. And that's, that's accurate. Um, and now we were debating this off air while we were getting ready to leave Austin stadium. Like what does Oregon want? Like Colorado to lose and the hype kind of goes away or, you know, the hype train come full force, which it's now going to do um, into Eugene. I mean, Everyone is attaching themselves to Colorado football right now. The Rock is in the post-game locker room. Um, little Wayne did a concert. Uh, Kawhi Leonard was feel on field level for this game tonight in Colorado. Like everybody is attaching themselves to this Colorado football program, and it's crazy to think like a Colorado Oregon football game in September is absolutely going to be bonkers. And that never would have computed in my head three months ago. Yeah. I mean, cause Dan's not wrong about his comments. Colorado has, 100%. I mean, that was an accurate statement. And I think even diehard Colorado fans who've been Colorado fans for a long time know that Dan's not wrong. I mean, Colorado had, has had one good year basically in the pac 12 where they played for the conference championship and around it is a bunch of, one and two, three, four win conference seasons, you know. Um, but this year is very different. And I mean, I, I'm excited that it's different. I'm excited that there's going to be a lot more attention played on this game because it's been a series that's just been kind of a, a very ho-hum and for good reason. Oregon has, has been near the top of the conference standings for basically the entirety of Colorado's stint in the conference. Ironically, the year that they weren't was, I think, the year where Colorado was quite good. Um so these teams have never mm -hmm. both been good at the same time. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. And uh, th there will be a media circus. There will be a lot of national attention. We've, I mean, the, the three of us have been, everybody who's been following college football have seen how much Colorado has talked about and how, and matches played it out. Like there's a lot of people attaching themselves to this program and that are very, um, I think, you know, enjoy what prime it's weird to call him prime but that's what he refer, is referring to himself by. it's i mean it, it's 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 impressive though i mean i i, I think the fact that they're three and oh and that they've won two games over power five competition as we go as the week goes on we can talk more about like how good is tcu how good is nebraska regardless they're a team that has a lot of talent 
and they're going to come in here motivated because there's probably going to be a sense that they have more to prove. I mean, this game today, mm -hmm. I was a, they were a three-score favorites, and it took overtime, and it took, frankly, a really, really impressive drive with, what, just over two minutes to go in regulation. Where they had to go, like, 97 yards, score, and get the two-point conversion just to force overtime. Like, mm -hmm. that's a game they probably shouldn't have won. And they're going to be very much motivated coming out of that. And I'll be very curious to see what the atmosphere is like. I'll be curious to see. Colorado historically just doesn't travel. Like, it'll be hundreds of fans at most at an Oregon game. How many Colorado fans are we going to see there? I'm sure it'll be more than we've seen in the past. And, uh, right. and to Matt's point, like, there's just going to be a lot of conversation about it. And I'm sure those comments by Dan will be rehashed all week. It'll be all talked 100%. about. And it'll be twisted yep. and turned into something that's not. And, and you know, Dion can... I don't know if he will or not, but there's an opportunity for him to make that about something that's not and motivate his team. And he probably should do that in terms of trying to find a way to motivate his team. Um, but those comments at media day from, from Dan at the time struck me as a little bit odd, not totally out of character. And with the way this has gone out, it, you know, it's just going to be a big point nationally. They're going to play that clip over and over again throughout the week. Yeah, yeah they, they, they sure are. And for for better or worse, like I'm excited for the game. Uh, obviously, I think it's going to be a good one, nonetheless. Uh, mm -hmm. Like we'll get into this this week. We'll get into how good we we think or don't think Colorado is. Um, they are three and zero. This is going to be a ranked matchup. It'll probably be a top. I don't know. Colorado probably moves up a couple spots depending on. I don't. I haven't checked the board. It's for sure top twenty. It's for sure top 20. Like, they're not going to drop. Like, Oregon may move up. They may not. But uh, it's yeah. going to be a, a ranked matchup. Um, first one of the season for Oregon. Uh, second one of the season for Colorado. I think TCU was ranked at the time that they played them. Um, there's no early line on Caesar Sportsbook yet, but I did see one on FanDuel earlier that was, like, minus 14 Oregon favored, um, which sounds about right. Um the, the the Dan Colorado comments, it's just going to be interesting because Dion wasn't even, you know, he was, he's been in Colorado for the handful of months. Like, it's not like he can really, I know he'll support the program because that's what he's supposed to do, just like Dan did last season in his first year at Oregon. So it all makes sense. But like to your guys' point, like that's just going to be played over and over again. I think the thing that I'm most excited about right now, who's going to show up? Because People come out in droves for Deion Sanders. Like I'm, I'm not talking fans. I'm talking celebrities. Like mm -hmm. Michael Irvin yeah. was there last yeah. week against Nebraska. Like Matt mentioned, Lil Wayne was there. I was most impressed with getting Kawhi out of the house. Like I, I haven't seen him do something <laughs> public in years. So that was crazy. Um, and then the 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 Nike connection. Like now this is Colorado's a Nike school. Deion signed with Nike again. They brought back his Deion sneakers and his cleats. Like. Who's going to show up for this game? Because it's, I remember uh, I was listening to the Ryan Russillo podcast and Albert Breer was on and he's a guy who works at NFL.com and they talked about Dion and like potentially him going to the NFL, which may or may not happen one day, who knows? But Breer was basically saying like when he interviewed all these great athletes in the NFL, former NFL guys, they all said like, Hey, tell Dion I said, hello, or tell Dion I said, what's mm. up? Like, he had that kind of pull for everybody in the NFL. And he has that kind of pull, and that's why people are talking about it in the media so much, and it's going to be the talk of the town. 
um, I'm excited for the game. And I think I'm most excited that it's a 12:30 kick because yes, you know, it's 12:08 AM here. So it's Sunday, but uh, it's going to be a unreal game. I'm very excited to see that environment. Kids are going to be on campus because school is going to be starting soon. Uh, and I think it's just going to be a great game day in Autzen. Um, I know there's a couple other big games. I think Alabama old miss is at the same time as Oregon. Um, but we'll end it with this. Colorado, Nebraska had like 9.3 million people watch their game two weeks ago Yeah, during the regular season. Uh, that game was on Fox. Oregon versus Colorado, two ranked teams, two top 20 teams on ABC. Everyone gets that channel. Like Jared said, it's a 12-30 kickoff. Every single person who watches college football during a Saturday is basically up. They're moving – that's a time where they, they devote to fall college football. Mm-hmm. This could be like a, maybe the most watched regular season college football game um, Oregon has had. And I, I say that seriously because and it doesn't make sense yeah. in my mind, but that's just the Deion Sanders factor. Do you, do you have an idea of what the record is now? Ooh, I know uh, like the Ohio State game yeah, was that was my guess. Just it was either just under or just over seven million. I'm gonna Google it real and quick. And the thing yeah. about the thing about the Ohio State game was that was seven big point, noon kickoff. Yes. Seven point seven three million viewers. That's gotta be the highest ever for a regular season game. Yeah, I was thinking maybe Oregon LSU after Oregon played in the championship in two thousand ten. Um but yeah, I mean, it's it's got to be one of them, right? Oregon, Oregon, Georgia last year certainly wasn't. Um, yeah. There was still a lot of eyeballs on that game, but there yeah. were. An Oregon fans wish that I, Oregon just probably wishes that was there were fewer. Uh, yes, from that one. Uh, yeah, man, I, 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 you're probably not wrong. I mean, they do have a little competition when Alabama's on one of the other networks playing at the same time, but it's gonna be a lot of attention. Ooh, did I did I say seven point seven three? You did. Yes. Um, where did that go? I just missed it. This says the September 3rd matchup between Oregon and LSU on ABC, the most viewed and highest rated program of the day, averaged 7.751. Good call, Eric. Barely by a smidge. There you go. Yeah. Because I, I was just trying to think of other marquee games when both teams were ranked pretty high because Oregon LSU, I think both teams were top five in the poll that year. But I, and this is why I said this was crazy, and I wanted to bring it up. Is we're talking Oregon, Georgia. We're talking Oregon, Ohio State, <laughs> and we're talking Oregon, LSU, and we're saying Oregon and Colorado may beat that, which yeah. just doesn't make any sense in my head. But that's why I'm excited for this week. Um, yeah. I, I hope you guys are too. Go to DuckTerritory.com for coverage leading up to uh, Saturday's 12:30 kick. Um, we are going to effort to get Adam Munster-Teager on from Buff Stampede. I want to talk to Adam. Oh, he'll be he's on. Had, uh, he has had like a completely ch- 180 of a, of a career path from the teams he was covering this time last year to till now. And I re- A, he deserves it. Uh, B, I can't wait to just get his feedback of just how crazy things have changed in a year's time. Um, we'll have our mailbag on Monday. We'll have our game picks uh, on Thursday. Uh, and then 
We'll have our Tuesday show that we do after Dan Lanning's press conference Monday night and player interviews Tuesday. Uh, that's going to do it for us here on the Austin Ottawa's podcast. Thank you for listening. Talk to you later, folks. Peace. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.